be seated this morning, and uh, as last week and as all this month, Pastor John will be bringing uh, the messages, and I'm so thankful for uh, the blessing that he has been in bringing those messages. But before he comes up, oh. does anyone have an update on the World Cup? I mean, Argentina won. Argentina won. Argentina won. All right. I just, I just, I needed to know that. I can't, I can't listen to the preaching unless I know. All right. All right. Awesome. I'm going to celebrate over there as I listen to the message, Pastor John. That was actually going to be my introduction. Argentina won, penalty kicks, 4-2. to two. Uh, No, it is a joy to be here, guys. And uh, in the midst of a wonderful, wonderful Christmas season, I think there is no better place than to be in the house of the Lord. And we are uh, so blessed to be here this morning. It is good to see each and every one of you here. And uh, so many familiar faces, some visiting faces. And we are thankful for each and every one of you uh, that have come today and trust that uh, today uh, we will have uh, enjoyed the worshiping of God through uh, song. Uh, that is what that time is for. It's to worship the one true God. And uh, we are here as a privileged group uh, to be able to worship the one true God. And it is uh, awesome to be able to do that. Uh, but I, I do want to say that it is good to see each and every one of you. I know that uh, we have... Uh, I, I saw out in the lobby uh, our, our, my niece, uh, Raquel, and her husband and their little baby, uh, Oakley. And so they're there in the lobby. It's good to have them with us. The first time Oakley makes an appearance in Texas. And so we are thankful for that. And then um, it's good to see so many visitors here among us as well. I know Enrique and uh, his girlfriend. It's good to have Clarissa, I think it was. It's good to have her with us. And uh, some of the oil's friends and family, right? The cousins over there. Yeah, Armando's uh, kids over there. It's good to have them. And, uh, and so it's good to see each and every one of you guys. Thank you for being here. And uh, it is a privilege to be here. Well, last week we started with a Christmas series. And part one, we talked about what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. And we talked about that the first thing that we celebrate was a plan, a plan. The reality that Galatians 4.4 told us that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. And uh, it was the reality that it was a result of a plan. God sent his son at a specific time with a specific purpose. And so that is known as a plan. God had a plan. Where did that plan begin? Well, it began in the heart and the mind of God. And he had a purpose in, in a design for what we celebrate during this season. You know, you can get lost in that reality. As you go through the mall, you roll down into La Plaza Mall, you roll in through those new beautiful section where the restaurants are at, and you smell all the wonderful aromas, and you walk through those doors, and you're looking for the last-minute Christmas gifts this um, uh, week, and uh, you can get lost in what Christmas is all about. As you walk around Target, as you walk around uh, Walmart, well, in Walmart and Target, you're more waddling at this point because of how crowded it is. But as you waddle through Walmart or Target, uh, you can get lost in what um, Christmas is all about. It's easy to think that it's about the gifts. It's easy to think that it's about the joy. It's easy to think it's about the Hallmark movies or whatever it is, maybe your favorite Christmas cookies, baking shows, or what have you. But what we celebrate is a plan. It's a life-altering plan. It's a, it's a, a plan that when Jesus came, he changed everything, and when Jesus comes into your life and my life, it changes 
everything. It's a life-altering plan. It's an active plan. It's a plan that God is still at work in. It's a plan that didn't end when Jesus was born. It didn't end when Jesus died 33 and a half years later. It didn't end when Jesus resurrected three days after that. It didn't end 40 days after that when, we ascend, when he ascended to heaven. Jesus' plan is still active 2,000 years later, he is still rescuing the lost. He is still reaching a dark world, and he is still seeking the, those that are in need of him, which we all are. It's an active plan. It's a never-ending plan. It's a reality that we find that his uh, plan is a plan of redemption that continues forward. Every single one of us, as we place our faith and trust in Christ, he begins a process of regeneration, of renewing in us. And the wonderful thing is that that plan continues on during this life and the life to come. It is a never-ending plan. And so we used uh, those letters, P-L-A-N, to say that it's a purpose uh, plan. It's a life-altering, active, and never ending plan. So we celebrated a plan. Well, today I'd like to begin series two or part two, I should say, the Christmas series. We celebrate, and it has a slash, we celebrate a person slash people. We celebrate a person slash people. And as I think about the Christmas story, I think for most of us we um, that grew up in Christianity or grew up uh, understanding the Christmas story uh, uh, from a biblical worldview, uh, you know, uh, the man in the red suit, it's fun, it's great, it's fun for the kids to believe in, but ultimately it wasn't about Santa Claus, it was about that baby in a manger. And we will get to him at the latter part of the, of the sermon uh, this morning, but here I'd like to also celebrate some people, and there is so much to celebrate when it comes to the Christmas story, uh, whether you're talking about the wise men that came from afar, uh, whether or not you are talking about uh, the, the, the people that uh, were around that city of Bethlehem and all that took place in them. Maybe it's the father figure that was Joseph who was uh, uh, able to navigate uh, uh, his family into that city of Bethlehem uh, during that uh, uh, time of counting the people, that census and all that took place there. You know, so much to celebrate there, so much to celebrate about angels appearing and different things like that. But I want to focus in on two areas or two, two uh, one a person and one a group of people that I believe are very much uh, an example to teach us some great truths that are very important to Christmas in 2022. They're very, very important to teach us some truths even in the modern world we live in. You see, I believe that in seeing and examining these people, we will be able to grow in understanding the greater value of celebrating Christmas, the deeper value of celebrating Christmas, and we'll, we'll take it from being a um, maybe up in the, up in the pie in the sky uh, ideological view of Christmas and a real practical down-to-earth view of some realities of what took place in that first Christmas. And why we should celebrate these people is some truths that they taught us that I think are encouraging to you and to me today. They're encouraging. And so before we get there, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 is where we'll begin in Luke chapter 1. And before we even begin the first uh, verses, I want to pray and ask for God's help and God's direction in the moments that we have together. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness upon my life that I don't deserve. 
Father, I thank you that this morning as we are gathered here, this group, we are not alone, but we are in your presence. And Lord, every single one of us here have needs, have burdens that we're carrying as we brought, that we brought in as we come into these doors and into this sanctuary. But Father, I pray, Lord, that in these moments that we have together, that your spirit would guide not only my words, but your truth that we will examine and read, and that, Father, it will effectively do the work that you want it to do. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just guide our thoughts, help us to rely on you, and help us to realize that you are a God that is still at work. And I pray, Father, that you would just guide us now in Jesus' name, amen and amen. The story in Luke is uh, one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that basically tell the life of Jesus, the life and ministry of Jesus, that which God wanted recorded uh, for man to be able to examine and see and know. Uh, John tells us that uh, there was much more that happened in the life of Christ, uh, of which if all was written, uh, John said there was not enough volumes to contain all that could be said about the life of Jesus. And so we find here snippets of what happened in the life of Jesus. And here Luke uh, records for us one of the most familiar and probably famous of the recounts of the first Christmas. Um, most of the plays that you will go to, whether it be elementary plays or, or even other plays, uh, most of the uh, movies of the nativity or the Christmas story will be using phrases brought out of Luke because it recounts it in such a way that really encapsulates uh, encapsulates the nativity scene very well. And so in Luke, we find um, that first uh, un 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 unraveling or showing of what took place in that first Christmas. And like I said, there are many people that could uh, contribute to this story. But number one, I like us to examine a confused young mother, a confused young mother. You say, Pastor John, I, I don't understand how, how we celebrate a confused young mother. Well, let's look with me to Luke chapter 1 and verses 26, and we're going to go through verse 38. So we're going to read quite a passage. Um, if you have a King James Bible, I apologize. I brought my New Living this morning, New Living Translation, but it's the same story. You'll be able to follow along just as well, no matter what version you have in front of you. But it says this in Luke chapter 1 and verse number 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Again, we've got some people appearing, so I want to clarify what's going on. Here, there's this young lady from a village, a young woman, age we can argue and discuss, uh, we don't have an exact, there's a lot of different uh, historical things that would tell us that she could have been as young as 14, 15, as old as 18, 19, somewhere in that range, but a young woman. That was when young women would become engaged and would become, would get a fiance and then would be ready to go into marriage in that culture in that time. And so here we have this, uh, she's not a city girl, she's from a village. She's not from uh, one of the more bustling areas of, uh, the, the, uh, 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 of the, the nation. Uh, she's from a village, from a small village, a village in Galilee named Nazareth. And here there appears this angel, one of the few angels that has a personal name, Gabriel. 
He has made an appearing before in the scriptures in the book of Daniel for another reason, for another endeavor that God had sent him to do. And, it, and here we find him appearing to this young lady who's about to be told she's about to become a young mother. And it says in verse 27, to a virgin named Mary, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Some important markers. King David uh, exalted uh, one of the head of the nation of Israel, a king that was, man, looked upon as, as a great, great important historical figure. But not only that, but he's important because he, he was going to be, through his lineage, was going to be this promised Messiah, uh, this promised coming redeemer for the great nation of Israel was coming through the lineage of King David. So uh, the, the author of Luke, noting that that would be important to uh, the readers, makes the notation and God in his uh, foreknowledge leaves us there that Joseph is a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her, it says in verse number 28, and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And here we find our word, at least in this translation, verse 29, uh, uh, it says in verse number 29, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean, confused and disturbed. As we celebrate the people of Christmas, as we celebrate this morning a person, I want you to go with me to that little village, to that little encounter, how long or brief it was, I do not know. Here it is, a young lady who is confused and disturbed, going about her daily life, going about her daily routine. Here God sends her an encounter with an angel from heaven with some amazing news that she's favored, the Lord is with her. And it says there, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Verse 30 says what many angels have to say to man when they encounter man. Verse 30 says, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom shall never end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. A confused young mother. We find here somebody to celebrate. You say, that doesn't sound like a heroic figure of a narrative. A confused and disturbed young lady. Yes, but here's what I want us to see. I want us to see that first of all, we have a, a God that overrules science. 
You know, we live in a world that continually, especially in the last few years, there has been this great debate of the supremacy of science. Um, as the pandemic riveted our world over the last two years and nine months or two years and so, and uh, uh, man, that great debate of the role of science in our world and how important science is and, and, and should be. And before then, uh, during the previous uh, 100 and something years, as the debate between creation and evolution raised, Age, uh, it was always science overrules all, science above all. Well, we find here in our story that we find a God that overrules science. You say, how is that? Well, because normally the process for how uh, babies are made goes against a virgin being able to have a baby. It didn't make human sense. A virgin is to give birth. A virgin is pregnant and will give birth. Verse 34 tells us that Mary said, how can this be? She was confused. And you say, Pastor John, how do we, of all the persons of the, of the nativity scene and of all the scenes, how did you pick this and that person and that occasion? I, I can tell you this. This is what I celebrate today. I celebrate a God who in spite of our lack of understanding, in, in spite of our lack of understanding and contemplating the great the deep realities of God, it's amazing that simple obedience was enough for God. Can I tell you that maybe for you and I in our Christian life this morning, there are moments in which uh, we are confronted with uh, confounding circumstances and situations. Maybe it's a doctor's notice that leaves us kind of uh, just asking the questions as to what comes now. Maybe it's a, a marital strife or a marital situation. Maybe it's a home situation. Um, maybe it's something that's going on in your life that has left you confounded and disturbed. But can I tell you something? What is amazing that we celebrate this morning? We celebrate a confused young mother who simply obeyed God. Obeyed God. Understanding was not a prerequisite to the ability of believing, obedience, and usefulness to God. Look with me in verse number 45 of Luke chapter 1 there. A few verses later, uh, it says this in verse number 45. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. This was at the end of a conversation between Elizabeth and Mary as the spirit had uh, revealed also an angel had revealed to Elizabeth a special occasion the, that she was pregnant with John the Baptist who would be the prophet that would go before Lord, the Lord Jesus and his ministry preparing the way as the prophets of old had uh, foretold and prophesied and, and in that, the end of that conversation this phrase is told to Mary you are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Now go with me once again back to that little village. That little village outside there in the area of Nazareth, that, that village of Galilee. In Nazareth, this humble young lady, this, this simple, confused young mother. And what would become of her story is incredible, and it is something to be celebrated in this season. Because it is somebody who, though, was confused and not completely at peace. It was that word disturb means that she was not at peace in a sense. 
But lo and behold, she obeyed God and she believed God. Can I tell you that this Christmas season, you and I can celebrate the reality that though maybe we don't understand what's going on in our world, we look around us and there is a lot that is confusing and disturbing, but we come and we hear what God has to say and we simply can see it and believe it. We simply with a simple belief and obedience can be able to then be a useful tool in God's hand. We celebrate a confused young mother. A confused young mother who believed that a God was more powerful than science. She knew what had happened throughout all of history in order for there to be a baby in her tummy, yet nonetheless she believed that the Spirit of God could accomplish in her something that science said was impossible. Dear friend, this morning I can tell you that if we would place that simple faith in that same almighty, all-powerful God, there is no limit to what God can do in our lives. And so therefore we should celebrate. When it comes time for Christmas and people are, are there going about their business in the street and going about their business in our homes during the Christmas season, as those family members wander in and out of that kitchen grabbing the handful of tamales and cookies, may we be reminded of what we celebrate. We celebrate a confused young mother who simply believed God and was used by God. Did she understand everything? No, clearly the scripture tells us not. Uh, notice that he didn't go to the nearest synagogue to find the most uh, devout uh, learner of the greatest Bible college of the time. No, he went to a far off village uh, to a little town way over here to just a simple young lady who was willing to be used by God by simply obeying and believing beyond her simple confusion. And when we look at that, that is exciting, and that is something to celebrate. Go with me to Luke chapter 2. Are you with me this morning? I know there's a lot that we can be looking at, and there's a lot that could be told. And I, this morning, my simple desire is just to instill in us the, the, the reality of the fact that sometimes we want to put this, this story into just this amazing make-believe Disney type of brush to it, but, but it wasn't like that. It was a confused 16, 17-year-old young lady who just simply had the faith enough to say, all right, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I believe you and I'll obey you. You see, you see her circumstances weren't ideal. Maybe yours aren't either. Her background, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened, uh, but I can tell you that it doesn't, uh, in, in, historically speaking, these regions weren't abundantly blessed areas with all of this life uh, incredibly paved in front of them with all this success. No, it was just somebody who believed God, had a simple faith and a simple obedience that became useful to God. A confused young mother. We go from a confused young mother, we celebrate a singular person, to a group of people, some fearful shepherds. Go with me to Luke chapter 2 and verse number 8, and we're going to read from verses 8 through 20 as uh, basically recounting uh, a scene, if you will, from that Christmas night. That night, there were shepherds staying in fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. 
they were terrified. The angel reassured them, don't be afraid. Time and time again, we see that reiterated to these shepherds. The reality is, is that this is a group of fearful, simple men. A group of simple, sheep-watching, sheep-protecting, out-in-the-field simpletons. And I'm here to tell you that here at Christmas time, we are celebrating not the greatest priest of the time when Jesus was born, not the greatest teacher of the synagogue, not uh, who the people around them would have said, yeah, uh, this is an important time because of so-and-so and so-and-so, because of governor so-and-so or because of leader so-and-so. No, here we find some simple shepherds in a field who became some very, very fearful shepherds in a field. As a group of angels and the glory of the Lord appears on that hillside, it did something. And yet, and yet, fear did not limit the shepherd's usability to God. Can I tell you that we have lived through some fearful times during these last couple years? We have lived like Mary, perhaps, in some confusing times and some disturbing times. We have lived and we are living, perhaps, like the shepherds in, in, in some fearful times. Fear tends to grip to us rather easily during these times. That's okay. It happened during the first Christmas as well. These unstudied these were not the guys that were pulling out the scrolls of Isaiah and sitting there and reading them in the fields, studying the scriptures. They were simple shepherds. And yet God decided to make them and their role in the Christmas story one of great importance. Fear did not limit the shepherds' usability to God. The good news and great joy was delivered to humble Ordinary believing shepherds. If you and I were to write how the unfolding of the greatest news to mankind would come, I guarantee you if every single person on earth wrote a story out of 8 billion stories, nobody would have chosen, hey, let's go get this group of 6, 8, 10 of these shepherds that are way over there watching the flock, and let's tell them what's going on in the greatest event known to mankind. And yet God took some fearful shepherds. He made them a centerpiece of telling the story. Look at what it says. But the angel reassured them in verse number 10, don't be afraid. And he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this, by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of clothing, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel of the Lord was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened 
and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. The good news of great joy was delivered to humble, ordinary, believing shepherds. They did not let fear limit their usability to God. And I tell you this morning, dear friend, as we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate a confused young mother. We celebrate a group of fearful shepherds who, again, simply said, all right, this is what God says. Let's act on it. Let's do it. Let's go and see what the Lord has done. Let's go and tell what the Lord has done. Dear friend, during this Christmas season, you and I have an opportunity to do exactly that. You and I have an opportunity to simply believe and obey what God has laid before us. And I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. We are all at a different point in that path. And none of us have ever achieved or will achieve on this side of eternity the great pivotal point of, uh, uh, of the summit of the mountain. We are all on that journey. But as we are on that journey, may we truly have ultimate faith and belief in what God has said. And may they... may. May that lead us to ultimate obedience to everything he asks of us. Simply put, it is, uh, it is not the, the amazingness of individuals that God uses. It is the simple obedience to God. The simple obedience to God. You know, Corinthians reminds us of that reality. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and there's a verse there as Paul is describing this reality of the fact that um, as mankind being what mankind is, we in all things want to take the centerpiece. We in all things want to take the limelight. We in all things want to be considered, uh, yeah, we are uh, the, the great difference makers. Well, uh, God makes it clear here in this passage of 1 Corinthians. Uh, he says this. He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things uh, uh, that. Uh, in, instead, God chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing uh, to, to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. You and I, dear friend, the longer we are in this Christian life, it is easy to think, man, well, yeah, God's using me because, man, look, look at who I am. Look at what I've achieved. Look at how much I know. No. It is a all-powerful, almighty God that does whatever he wants and whoever he wants. It is a God that takes a confused young mother and in response to her believing obedience, in response to her absolute willingness to follow what God has said, now becomes a useful tool in the story of that almighty, all-powerful God. It is a group of fearful shepherds, humble, uh, uneducated perhaps, somebody who was uh, just 
simply doing their diligent job there on that hillside, their simple job. Yet when they received that good news, they believed it, they acted upon it. They didn't understand it all, but that great joy and that good news was delivered to them. And that humble, ordinary, believing shepherd was then able to be able to share and be the first missionaries to share the good news of the fact that the Savior had been born to the entire village. Dear friend, we celebrate people. Celebrate people like Mary. We celebrate people like those shepherds. But obviously the centerpiece and the heart of what we celebrate in Christmas is a baby. (laughs) A baby, I said. You know, when you think about it, the most helpless of states, the most defenseless of processes of the human process, the baby. We live in a world that has decided that a baby under the age of nine months is so defenseless and so uh, unimportant that if it's a disturbance to you, you can even just get it out of your life and do away with it. But you see, at the centerpiece, at the cross X of Christmas, we celebrate a baby that was a baby savior. <laughs> and when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate a person. We celebrate a person. That came not in the form of this mighty warrior that appeared on the scene of some great battle that was taking place of historical importance. We celebrate a baby that was born in a lowly village, in a lowly stable, in a manger. Placed in a manger. We celebrate the fact that the Christ child was the great hope. Oh, can I tell you, when we look at Luke chapter 1, it says this in verse number 67. Now, I need to do a backstory as we finish up this last point. Zechariah is uh, the father of John the Baptist, and he was revealed to, same encounter, an angel appeared to him to tell him that his wife was going to have a baby. And unlike Mary, uh, he had a little bit less uh, easy time believing, perhaps because he was a little bit more studied in Scripture, a little bit more religiously uh, uh, evolved and further along in his religious journey. And so therefore, for him, his uh, lack of knowledge of understanding limited his faith. Oh, be careful, dear Christian, that is advanced and a veteran in the faith. Because for you and I, that can become a problem and a stumbling block as well. But Zechariah, here in that encounter, though we don't have time to read about it, he goes back and forth uh, with the angel, and he basically says, I don't know if that's really going to happen. When the angel said, your wife of advanced age, and again, I I don't have time to go into what advanced age was. Uh, It was somebody who clearly could not have a baby. It was a lady that was in an age in which babies don't happen anymore at that age. But God said it was going to happen. The proper response would have been to simply believe, but he couldn't. He didn't. And whether it was for a moment Or for a longer period of time, he didn't believe and he displayed that lack of belief. And so as a sign, the angel said to him, look, you're not going to be able to communicate to talk until that baby is born. But by the way, that baby's name is going to be John. 
And so you can believe me, you're not going to be, be able to speak, you're going to be mute. And so for the months that pass uh, from that point until Elizabeth, his wife, has the baby, he is un unable to speak. But then the baby is born, and Elizabeth says, oh, what's going to be the name? And everybody's expecting Zachariah Jr. It's like, like the Hispanic culture, right? It's Enrique, Enrique Jr. It's a, a John, John Jr. That's just the way it is, you know? Or somebody of the grandparents there, and they said John, or Elizabeth said John. And they were like, no way. They're like, no. There's nobody in your family. There's no, what, where did that name come from? You draw it out of the hat. You know, back in that time, it wasn't like here. They didn't go to Google, look to the top names. No, no. It was part of their family lineage. Somebody from there was going to be named after him. Uh, but no, lo and behold, uh, that's what she says is John. Well, they go to, to Zechariah to try and see if they can feel from him, hey, uh, your wife is over here. She's uh, clearly, after having the baby, something's not right. She's saying it's going to be named John. And he says, well, give me a paper. Let me write for you what I want it to be. And by him writing on that paper, you know what that was? That was him saying, I'm broken. And I know what God said is real and it's true. And I believe what God said. And he writes on there, John. And the moment he writes, he's able to speak. And his muteness is gone. And the very first words out of his mouth are what we're about to read in verses 67 and on. And as I look at what we celebrate in Christmas, we celebrate a baby. But it's a baby savior. And here's what it says. It says, then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David. Just as he promised. Through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies. From all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering this his sacred covenant. The covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And up to that point, as a Jew, as a, as a descendant of Israel, all that he is saying is true and awesome and wonderful. Though what they understood that to mean, which the disciples who followed him for the next uh, three years of his, of his, for the last three years of his ministry, they as well had understood that to mean something totally different. Different. They understood that to mean that he was going to grow up to be a great warrior king who was going to build this vast Jewish army, who was going to push out the Romans, who was going to push out the invaders and be able to reconquer the promised land of Abraham to establish God's eternal kingdom right then, right there. But nonetheless, the baby savior had been born and they were celebrating. He was celebrating the baby savior that was coming. But here's the turn and the twist because see. That baby Savior was not just the hope. That Christ child was not just the great hope of ancient Israel. The main character of the prophets, prophecies of old, the, res uh, the rescue of a nation whose history was filled with captivity and enslavement for generations was not the ultimate goal of just that baby Savior. 
You see, look at what it says in verse number 76. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. This now speaking of John, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Dear friend, this morning we celebrate a baby, but a baby Savior. A baby who would grow and live a perfect 33 and a half years, who at 30 years would enter his public ministry and would be able to reveal that truly he was the Son of God, who would work more miracles, who would display the power of God in what he said and how he did and the miracles he enacted and the sins he forgave. And time and time again throughout the Gospels, it would be clearly left for nobody to doubt, for nobody to be able to question that that truly was the Son of God and truly what we celebrate was the great Redeemer had come to rescue mankind from the enslavement of sin. And tonight, and excuse me, this afternoon, dear friend, you and I are living the result that have received Jesus Christ, the fact that our life was enslaved to sin. We were lost in darkness, and those chains were wrapped around us, and that the only way that we could wrestle free from it wasn't from some 10-step program to being a, a less of an alcoholic, some 10-step program to be able to be freed from being able to be a slave to sin. No, what we, we, we needed, the only thing that would rescue us was the great price of that redemption being bought on the cross and that great baby savior would one day be the exact sacrifice that mankind would need. From Adam and Eve forward, the great cloud of darkness had been upon mankind. And throughout the history of the ancient Israel, there had been the rising and fall of judges, the rising and fall of prophets, the rising and fall of kings. And all throughout, they were waiting and waiting. What will turn the tide? What will bring about that change? What will bring about that redemption? What will bring about that rescue? And here on this Christmas night, they're laying in those little swaddling cloths. They're lying in that manger was nothing more than a baby savior, the great redeemer and rescuer of mankind. May we not be gypped by believing Christmas is about anything else. May we not be gypped by celebrating a good season, a happy season, a joyful season. All friends, family, food, wonderful, awesome, all in its place. But my dear friend, my dear brother and sister, may we remember that Christmas is a celebration of a person. Jesus, the Savior of the world. That would change the reality for all mankind, for all eternity. The great hope of mankind was born on a day. And it was celebrated and here we are 2,000 years later, and we continue to celebrate it. Perhaps like Mary, a little bit confused and disturbed, 
perhaps like the shepherds, a little bit fearful of what's going on around us and not exactly understanding it all. But like both of them, believing what we know and obeying upon what we know. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know what your challenges are. But can I encourage you during this Christmas season to celebrate people like Mary and the shepherds and Joseph and Zechariah and the shepherds and the wise men and simply obey and act upon what you know and what God has revealed to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your truth. I pray, Father, that you would just continue to work in our lives as we look at these characters, true characters of history, but with some great truths to share with us and to teach us. Oh, Father, you could have easily left this world in darkness. We were the ones that turned our back on you. We were the ones that decided to live without you. We were the ones that opened our hearts to sin. And you could have perfectly been fine for all eternity, rejoicing in the company of yourself. But you love mankind enough that you sent that baby Savior to be born, knowing that it would break your heart 33 years later to see him die on a cross murdered by the very ones that you had sent to rescue. And the truth of the matter, Lord, is that we were the ones that were nailing those nails. We were the ones pushing down on that crown of thorns. Lost and blinded in sin, every one of us was there. But Father, here we are, having chances to be redeemed and rescued from our sin, our wickedness, our past mistakes. But Father, every single one of us has to begin with placing our faith and trust in you as their personal Lord and Savior, being forgiven of our sins, getting to know you as our personal Savior. Because though that baby Savior was the Savior of the world, his effectiveness is only effective on a personal level. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that if there's somebody be here within the reach of my voice that does not know the forgiveness of their sins, that does not know what it is to place their faith and trust in that baby Savior, that today might be the day, that this afternoon might be the afternoon in which they may know for certain their sins have been forgiven. Oh, Father, that that great Redeemer was born to die for them and to die for me. Pray for, Lord, for those of us that have placed our faith and trust in you, but that at times we feel discouraged because we are confused and disturbed. We are filled with fear all around us like those shepherds on that hillside, and we feel so useless. And we be reminded that you can make them useful as long as they obey, as long as they believe. I pray, Lord, that you would help us in our unbelief. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Perhaps this morning you'd say, Pastor John, as you were mentioning that first part of the prayer, the reality is that the Spirit of God was moving in my heart. And truthfully, I do not know a moment and a time when I have placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. But this morning, I'd like to make that decision. I'd like to believe 
I'd like to truly believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior and that he died for my sins. Would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? I'd like to pray for you knowing that the Spirit of God worked in your heart and made you believe in that this morning. I'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just like to know. Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. I'd like to know to pray for you. Amen. God bless you. Anybody else? They say, that's me this morning. I truly want to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Perhaps this morning you'd say, Pastor John, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I know I'm a Christian. But boy, this morning I needed that encouragement because there's been some doubt, been some confusion, some disturbance in my life. There's been some fear that's been gripping me as of late. But tonight, this morning, I've been encouraged through the truth of this. Been encouraged and I'm committed to believe in God and to follow what God says, to act upon it. Pastor John, would you pray for me? That's me this morning. Would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Amen. Anybody? Slip it up. Put it back down. God bless you. God bless you. Praise the Lord. May God's word do what it is intended to do. Father, we love you. Thank you for this truth and this time to study your word. Limited as I am and expounding upon it, I thank you that your word accomplishes what it wants to accomplish. Lead us now as we worship you this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.